Welcome to the first episode of Demil Belchia Season 10 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is a Canadian who I'm pretty sure has a video involving angels at the gates of heaven, if you know what I mean, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening. It's a completely different episode today given that you are still very much in Thailand and I'm still very much not at home. The last time we spoke it was about four hours before I went to the airport and... At the time of uh, recording, it's about 12 hours before I fly home. Just doing all about Disney World, uh, Universal. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we've we we've sort of not actually, well, we've deliberately not said where I am, because I didn't want to jinx the uh, the trip, but where in the world is Michael Armstone? The answer is I am in Orlando, Florida. I've spent the past two weeks doing as many rides as I can, getting horrendously sunburned accidentally, and um, just having a, a great time on my own, basically. It's not, you're not going to get any sort of skin cancer from all these sunburns? No, well, I, I made the, the foolish decision to go to two water parks back to back last weekend. And um, yeah, I didn't realize how sunburned I'd got until I came back to the hotel and my entire like top half is just red. Yeah, my entire top half is just red at the moment. <laughs> I'm a tomato. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much am. I'm, I'm, I'm like a refresher suite. I'm, I'm red on the top half and then white on the bottom. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, that's great fun. My mother is going to absolutely kill me when I land uh, tomorrow morning, and she finds out how sunburned I am. You'll have to you'll end up having to find a dermatologist when you go back home. No, I uh, I snuck to to Walgreens and got myself some aftersun, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'm a lot better than I was. Last Monday, I I struggled to sleep because it was just kind of itching so much, just peeling, just just yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the the peeling has begun. That's going to be fun for the housekeepers. Just going to be all, just all skin. skin. <laughs> yeah, somebody wants a high five. I'm like, oh, give me some skin. Oh no, no, I meant a high five. <laughs> Not everything, everything that's peeled off of you. And how have your uh, how's your past two weeks been? My past two weeks. Well, right before we recorded, I told you that nine hours of my day had been dedicated to sorting out a flight refund for Gian. And in fun times with immigration offices, I've been in Thailand for the past three and a half months now. I got into Thailand on December 2nd, so we're approaching four months here. But I'm guessing, based on certain events that are coming up, it'll only be one more month in Thailand at the most. <laughs> yeah, you've um, you've had a bit of fun with the, the Thai immigration system today, haven't you? <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a there's a lot of a lot of bureaucracy here. A lot of rules. A lot of rules keep changing, as with many countries around the world right now. Yeah, I do have to say I was really worried about flying through Orlando Airport because when I've flown into Orlando before, the immigration queues have been horrific, and it's been a very unwelcome welcome basically. And it was absolutely brilliant. I had absolutely no trouble. It was like ten minutes through immigration. Because there's no one really traveling there at this time internationally? Oh, God, no. It's really busy. Oh, <laughs> they just were too busy to ask questions? <laughs> yeah. the um, Since the pandemic happened, Disney have introduced a new system where you've got to reserve which parks you're going to each day. And because it is spring break at the moment, every single park reservation has been sold out for the past week. I'd pre-booked mine already, so I was fine. But literally every reservation that they had has has gone in the past week and a half. So, yeah, <laughs> it's very, very busy in Disney at the moment, especially. Yeah, I guess everyone wants to 
whatever, I guess during spring break, that's the thing to do is go down to Florida before wet season happens there, essentially. Yeah. And I also have to congratulate you after um, after Vista Mall 2022, because you did almost win the suspect list. Yeah, but uh, at least I won amongst amongst us. <laughs> the fun thing I will say is you lost by one point after our bravado on the uh, on the finale podcast. But I have done that before. <laughs> I have lost the suspect list by one point as well in the past. It's those bonus points that killed me because I was way ahead before the bonus points came in. Yeah, I've, I have lost the suspect list by one point. I think once or twice. I'm sure Dan will correct me if it wasn't twice, but I think it is twice that I've done that. I was going into the bonus points leading and then lost after the bonus points. Yeah, one lousy point. If only, if, if only there was one less point out there. If there weren't, if there weren't bonus points at all, I'd win every time. Yep. If it wasn't for the stupid points, you would have got away with it. And what did you think of this episode as a whole? I'm very curious if the homage thing is going to keep up every single week, or if it's mainly it's mainly going to be for the premiere and then the finale, and just a little bit str- sprinkled in between each episode. Because I think every single season got a shout out in this in this whopper ninety minute premiere. I think pretty much every season. I'm not sure about season two, and I'm sure Bindles will correct me if season two was in there. But season one obviously did, because we had the original Malcolm back. Yeah. Uh, season three did, because that was where the car crash was. And then Argentina obviously got loads. South Africa got the red button. Yeah. Mexico got a couple. Coffins. Uh, Vietnam. Uh, what did Vietnam have? Well, Vietnam was referenced in the uh, in the opening scene. And then Greece. Did Greece have any references? Probably the part of the wine. <laughs> Although I guess that's every season. <laughs> Greece had the cake. Yeah, that's right. And then the... Germany obviously had Jens. No, Vietnam had to be referenced directly in there somewhere. I'm trying to think whether it was. I've seen this episode twice and I don't think it was. None of the music overlapped with Vietnam? No. None of the minigames? So. We had the I don't think Vietnam had any any actual references. Mexico, yeah. Mexico had the suitcases. How strange, given how good a season it was. I'm sure sure we're going to get some Vietnam references in the coming weeks. This this episode was mainly focused on Argentina, on the Argentina season. A ton of references, though. And the cool thing is, the opening quote for each episode looks to be, it'll be after a past player. And it, it may, may be past moles, because Mark was a mole. Oh, it wasn't Mark from Argentina season? <laughs> it wasn't Mark from Argentina season, no. It, it, the opening quote of this episode was not, I'm not sleeping in the same bed as you because you're homosexual. <laughs> However funny it would have been. <laughs> well, Jules did, did, appear, did appear for the, for the interrogation task. I would have just loved it if... Uh, Instead of we have a problem, we all want an exemption. It was <laughs> it was just a reference to Mark. It's not because you're gay, but I'm not sleeping in the same bed as you. That would have been an inappropriate start to to the season. Happy tenth anniversary! No, we're cancelled. Aren't you glad that we went back and did Argentina and South Africa so we can make make all these jokes now? Yeah. 
And I love to do it at the start of every season. I didn't even have to do the maths on it this time, which is great. Um, but the average age of this season is 34.6 initially and then drops to 34.3 with the ends coming in compared to 38.3 in Argentina, 33.4 in South Africa, 37.7 in Mexico, 35.1 in Vietnam, 34.6 in Greece and 31.9 slash 33.3 in Germany. So the age the age range stays quite consistent throughout all the Belgia seasons. It does. And I was saying this on the Bods Bar Discord last night. No mole has been older than the average of their season, in the reboots at least. There were three pretty old moles in the original seasons, and then the oldest mole that we've had since has been 34. There's ageism. There's ageism on on the mole. Yeah. I do wonder whether, and I know this is the sort of thing that's going to come back to bite me in in May, I wonder whether Gilles is probably going to have cast an older mole this time. Well, it's called the mole, not the mold. I feel like in the same way that he talked to us about wanting more diversity in the cast, I feel like maybe he might want a bit of age diversity in the moles at some point. Well, there's not really any... Who, who's the only contestant that's significantly older than everyone else? It would just be... just be Nella, right? Uh, Gretel was the oldest. She was 51. Yeah, but she's she's gone. Yeah, but then there's quite a few in their 40s still. Naylor is the oldest, I think, left. But I haven't got the ages to hand, so someone will correct me on that. I wonder if Toon is going to be allowed to be at the Brussels finale party, considering he's he's underage. Yeah, I think we need to discuss that as well, because my first response when I saw that that they're taking over one of the arenas in Brussels was, for God's sake, I'm never going to use that Antwerp hotel voucher, am I? Literally, I was planning on using it on the weekend of the 8th of May, and now I might have to do both Antwerp and Brussels in the same trip, just to use Just to use, yeah. <laughs> or it'd just be a long train ride. <laughs> use, use, use Antwerp for the first night when you fly in, and then the next day, uh, then book your uh, hotel in Brussels for the finale day. Yeah, because I can't really have Antwerp as the finale night because we're going to have to record a podcast in my hotel room, wherever it is. <laughs> yeah, and then we know those those finale night things run until late. Mm. If it's if uh, and considering this Very is tenth anniversary and the first finale event they've done in three years, I cannot see it being exactly mm. an early night. <laughs> oh God, no! It's going to be a very very late night. Look at the first day of filming of this season. It's only the first day of the 10th anniversary season, and Jill's like on the phone talking to Bert saying, um, you guys aren't too hungover to do challenges today, are you? Well, there's something they didn't actually mention in the episode, which is that that first day was Toon's birthday, I believe. Oh, so they, they had another excuse to party even harder. That's why there was so much tequila, is because it was Toon's 19th birthday. I see. Would they make somebody who's turning 19 on the first day of filming, would they make somebody like that the mole when they could have really loose lips after drinking that much tequila? Hopefully for the first and possibly only time in their life? Well, that's what I'm thinking. If if Toon was the mole, hypothetically, he's quite low down on my suspect list, spoilers, he would be by far the youngest mole that has ever been cast. If, if you think about it, Alina is obviously the youngest mole ever. She didn't seem as young as she actually was. She didn't seem 19 or 20, however old she was by the end of the season. I think it was 20. She didn't seem 20. She 
she had a lot older vibe. Toon doesn't seem nineteen; he seems about sixty. Yeah, Toon and Vermont is like Noah, where it's where all you think is, "Wow, that guy really is acting like you think somebody in their late teens would." Yeah, he definitely does not give off Alina vibes to me in terms of not having a good head on his shoulders, but being mature enough to be the mole. Well, I don't think Toon has ever been detained in a foreign country about their citizenship. I'm trying to make it not seem like I'm bagging on Toon too much for being horrifically young. Like, we, we've we now reached the point where mole candidates are ten years younger than me, and it's making me feel very old. <laughs> because the other thing we've not mentioned is this episode comes out on my birthday, which is a very rare occurrence. We very, very rarely release anything on my birthday. So I'm officially officially 29 on on Thursday, but actually, you know, pandemic birthdays don't count, so I'm 27 still. <laughs> You're too young to be discounting birthdays, Michael. <laughs> well, there's a difference between being too young to discount birthdays and the fact that I've not been able to celebrate for two years, so, you know, I'm just not counting those birthdays. Get to the age where no one even celebrates your birthday because you've got three and four and five-year-olds around you who have birthdays at the same time. So those get acknowledged, but not yours. (laughs) Well, I sort of can't believe I'm telling this story because I was at Typhoon Lagoon on Sunday and I was queuing up for one of the rides or one of the slides and a, I'd say about four-year-old fell over in front of me and a woman from Disney genuinely turned around to me because I was behind this kid in the queue and said, oh, is he your son? And I'm like, no, I'm 28. I am far, far too young to have a four-year-old. Thank you very much. I didn't say that to her, obviously, but I felt (laughs) it. I'm like, you cheeky bitch. I am not nearly old enough to have a four-year-old. Sod off. Did I tell you what happened with Jan and I in Victoria? There were two... I think there were two girls who were around seven or eight years old, and they were chasing the ducks in front of the BC Legislator Building in Victoria. And Jan and I were walking around. We weren't. We weren't. We weren't chasing the ducks or the geese. Yeah, it would have been geese, I guess. Yeah. So they were. So the two girls were chasing the geese, and then there were a couple of police officers there looking concerned, and they just gave this really evil look at Jan and I and said, "Oh, are these your children?" And then I said the same thing that Toon did at this episode, where I said, "Ah, not that I know of." <laughs> <laughs> And then the cop, the cops eventually tracked down the uh, the actual parents. And the thing is that the parents didn't actually didn't uh, seem that much older than uh, than me and Jian. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm at this. I'm at the age where just people. And actually, I was teaching a new student a few days ago, and his mom asked me how old my son is. And I had to say, well, I I don't have a son. And I've ta- I've taught students now, plenty of students, where the parents look to be the same age as me if not a little bit younger yeah it just made me laugh because that happened on sunday and then i was watching this episode on sunday evening just going oh my god toon actually got asked whether he had a child and i'm like no i'm <laughs> yeah. 10 years older than you i don't have a child either, as we proved today yeah and i lost it when he said not that i know of and i'm thinking what i did the same response a few months ago <laughs> So the last thing that I do have to mention before we actually talk about the episode proper is the composite candidate face, which we did discuss in the end of the uh, the Vista Mole podcast, ended up actually being not old moles, as we suspected, but the candidates of this season. 
and on Cafe de Mol every week, they're going to be removing features from the person who gets executed to reveal more of the mole each week. Oh, that's kind of a neat thing to do. Yeah, it's a very Belgian idea, and I really like it. Also, something potentially worth bearing in mind is that the candidates are in reverse alphabetical order on the website, which never happens. And Jens, as of the time of recording, is still missing. Jens with a J. Yes. I do have a nickname for both of them by the end of this episode, but uh, yeah, Germany Jens is still missing from the website as of the time of recording. I can't believe we've got to the point after... The last time that I was away when watching a Belgian Mole episode was the start of Greece, when I was in Texas. And we had that problem where it was, the host always wins because we had contestant Jill and host Jill. And now we've got to the point where it's Germany Jens and Jens with a Y. It's making me go cuckoo. Yeah, ho ho. (laughs) So they begin the episode by dubbing this a Jubilee season, which of course, if you know your Vista Mole history, gives me PTSD from Renaissance. And on the Renaissance point, I have found out that um, people pronounce Renaissance wrong a lot. Dame Judi Dench pronounces Renaissance a lot. She says Renaissance. It's Renaissance. It's French. And if nothing else, we've said it before and we will say it multiple times again, this show is beautiful. That opening is just gorgeous. Yeah, we get quite the scenery within the Canary Islands. Have you been to the Canary Islands, Michael? Or is it just me? Uh, I have been, we went on a cruise in 2006 to the Canary Islands. So Lanzarote is the only one I've not been to, I think, because it was too stormy when we were there. But I've been to the other ones. Oh, okay. So Tenerife, Las Palmas, or Grand Canary, I guess. Yeah. And whatever the other tiny ones are. (laughs) The less important ones. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone, as is traditional, is asked if they're the mole. Some have cola in front of them, some have lemonade, and some have absolutely nothing, which is definitely going to come back as a clue of some description, isn't it? Everything can be a clue. And Gilles drives through the landscape and leaves his BMW next to a taxi with a paint bomb and a 70-minute timer. And he then introduces the first challenge to Gretel and Philippe. Each of the ten candidates will be contributing to a party. Each person who makes it there on time in 70 minutes will earn €200 for the pots and €3,000 if the guest of honour is there. When their blindfolds come off, someone drives into the back of them, just like in Season 3. I thought the guest of honour was going to be Bertrand. (laughs) Can you imagine if we got a call off Jill and said, right, we're doing this, you sworn secrecy on this, who would you like the guest of honour to be? Bertrand or Hans? We would probably say Bertrand, wouldn't we? (laughs) I think Bertrand would have been number one answer. (laughs) If he had the glasses, he could see through the cuckoo clock and see the the rice jelly inside. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love... <laughs> I said this on the Buzz Bar Discord last night. I love that we have now seen all the reboot seasons and we've covered all the reboot seasons so we can do all the jokes about people like Bertrand or like Ruth, who is such a tragic fallen figure in Belgium all history. And I feel like if we'd seen this episode and not done those two seasons... It would have been our main priority this year, would be to just finish Belgian Mole proper. Because this season is really just a dedication to all of the reboot seasons over the past several years. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful love letter to the Mole in Belgium. And I think we will be going through this season a lot, obviously comparing it to Renaissance, because that is the direct comparison of not 
bringing everyone back as Renaissance did, but trying to celebrate the show. And I feel like after one episode, unsurprisingly, Dumel Belchia is so much better at this than Vidim was. The strange thing is that this season has something in common with the Masonry's canon, which there is one returning player amongst the whole cast. And then after all these, because I think what Maze and Race Can has had seven seasons, and then the Mole has had ten seasons, or I guess, what is it, seven, seven seasons in the reboot now? Yeah, seven seasons in the reboot. Yeah, seven seasons in the reboot. So out of the seven reboot seasons, we only have one returning contestant, and then out of the seven seasons of Maze and Race Can, they've also only had one returning team. So that's a bit of an odd chunk of overlap in the reality TV universe. It is very interesting, and it's not the only time I'll be saying this today, but it's very interesting that when we have spoken to Papa Bear Gilles de Costa, and I'll, I'll stop calling him that eventually, when we've spoken to him in the past, he said that he never wanted to do returning players because it always should feel fresh every season. But they made an exception for Jens, and I think it's very interesting that they did, and I wonder whether we accidentally contributed to it a little bit last year in our recaps. When we interviewed Jill, did they did he already have it planned out with the would the cuckoo clock gift have already happened? Yeah, he we interviewed him the week after the reunion aired. Oh, okay. I think. So they he already went through that whole line of thinking of having exemption set inside of the cuckoo clock, knowing that he was gonna cast Yens once more. And the worst thing is, he directly was asked by me whether Jens's execution breaks Belkia law because he didn't get a red screen. And he had an answer prepared for that. He knew I was going to ask it. He said that the only reason he didn't get a red screen is because it was that damp out that they couldn't get a screen out there. And I think that answer was bullshit. I think he was lying directly to my face. And I love you, Jill. You know I do. But I think you lied to me in that moment. Because as soon as Jens was revealed on this episode, I paused it, my jaw dropped, just like with We're Not In Care Friend, and I actually said out loud, and thankfully this was in the evening, because there was no children around, you lying bastard, Shield Costa. <laughs> you may prefer the Papa Bear nickname if that's the alternative. I may have to change it in all our descriptions from Papa Bear to lying bastard. But um, yeah, like I think he lied to us directly in our interview last year when he said that, that Jens would have still got a red screen had they been able to get a screen out there. I think he knew exactly what he was going to do here, and he was just stringing us along a little bit. What's, what's funny is just how long Jill would have had to plan for Jens to be out there. That this was an idea he had prior to, the, to him being executed the first time at the reunion giving him the cuckoo clock and then having his family and friends in on it, or I guess uh, probably just a few people were in on it to say, okay, we're actually going to bring him back. Don't say a word to him. Tell him he's going to Frankfurt and then we're going to divert his flight and suddenly he's going to be filming a second season of The Mole for the next three weeks. So my theory on it is that they didn't originally plan on doing this with the ends. But then when the premiere aired last year, there was a fair bit of backlash, not just from us, but from the fan community, that it was maybe a little bit unfair and it did break Belkia law for Jens to be executed on day one with no red screen. So I think when they got that backlash, they thought, 
well, we can't really just shove him back in the season. But maybe given it's a special season next year, we start playing ahead and maybe try and bring him back if possible and do something sneaky with that. And I think as a result of the fan backlash, they started looking at whether they could work out a way to incorporate him in this season. That's my suspicion. It makes me think back to something similar that Survivor tried to do 16 years ago now. Yeah, this would have been 16 years ago where they had Survivor Palau, one of my all-time favorite reality TV seasons, where they had a twist in the first episode where two people went home in a schoolyard pick on the second day. They didn't get eliminated through tribal council. And the plan was, was for the following season, Survivor Guatemala is have the 16 regular castaways come out. And then the two people who were eliminated in the schoolyard pick would come out as contestants number 17 and 18. However, there just wasn't quite enough backlash or support for Jonathan and Wanda to be brought back from Guatemala. And instead, everyone wanted the last two Oolong members, Stephanie and Bobby Chan, to come back in their place. So Survivor was really close to doing something similar where the two people who didn't even get to be eliminated through traditional tribal council means uh, those two were supposed to be brought back, but they ultimately didn't go that route. But here in the mall, there was enough of an outcry that could have contributed to why Jens is being brought back here uh, for this season. Yeah, I think I think they were originally disappointed that it was Jens who went, because if you think back to the Café de Mall special last year, Gilles was very high on Jens anyway. But I think as a result of the fan backlash... They definitely put this plan into motion. I wonder, I could see it, maybe didn't even have to be really much of a fan reaction. It could just be seeing Jens' reaction to not getting to participate in the whole season. I have a feeling that could have been really awkward on set to tell Jens, okay, you, you did get to be on the mall, but in reality, you weren't. I think it's also potentially very fun that there was someone else in this cast who also got eliminated in that cornfield. Yes, who was the other... Yeah, you mentioned that. Philippe. Philippe was one of the uh, the nine fallen candidates. Or fallen alternates, I should say. And out of all the rally TV seasons that try to work in returning players, 99% of the time, it's dumb, it doesn't make much sense, it's just a sake for rehashing old storylines bringing in viewers who only are going to tune in for those specific players that they really liked from years and years ago. But here, there's a lot of thought put into Jens's return. It's not just, hey, we're bringing back a returning player. It's, oh, remember that cuckoo clock we gave him at the reunion show at the end of last season? Well, there's an exemption in it that applies to the first episode of this season. They really integrated it really well that I don't think any other franchise has gone even remotely close to that way. I love this idea. I love that it ends up being a year-long prank on Jens. I love that it basically makes the Germany twist significantly more palatable, or the opening twist at least. And I also love that even though I asked him directly whether it contravenes Belkia law, Belkia law is technically restored as a result of them bringing Jens back. It's retroactively restored. Yeah. It's a retroactive restoration, and I cannot believe at 8 o'clock in the morning I've managed to get that phrase out. So, First challenge. <laughs> yeah, so instead of the famous quotes that introduced last season, or the Greek fables from 2020, we get famous quotes from old candidates or moles. 
as it is in this case, spoilers, to introduce the episode. This week's is we have a problem. We all want an exemption from season three's mark. They are in Lanzarote on day one. Philippe and Gretel must pick up the other candidates and take them to the party. A police officer pulls them over and hands them a tube, which will help. Two other candidates, Toon and Sven, are bringing the cake. The cake has hints to all the other challenges. A red button, a chain and a bomb are all part of the decorations, as well as their cake and two cars being crashed into each other. There's a lot of integration here. (laughs) The cake is decorated with all of the tasks happening for that challenge, and all the tasks are from past seasons. That's a hell of an opening challenge, considering that in Mexico, I remember when we were podcasting about it, that we thought, wow, that's a very elaborate first challenge to have them in coffins. Fast forward several years later, where the production crew has so much more experience, and the coffin, the, the coffin mini game is the smallest part of this entire challenge. It's an afterthought. That's insane when you think about it. That the one of the biggest highlights of Mexico is just viewed as an afterthought in this gigantic opening challenge. I honestly love this way of introducing the season. It's so good. And I know I know I'm absolutely blowing smoke when I say uh, when I say how good this show is, but this challenge just proves how good Demol Belkir is. It just works. I must say, one good thing about this season happening in Spain is that I can understand this season more than almost any other season. <laughs> yeah, Bram asked me on Sunday whether I speak any Spanish. I'm like, I don't, but Logan does. Yeah, I can, and I can read Spanish fairly well. So, so when the question about the children came up and they had no idea what it meant, I'm thinking, wow. So much for everybody in Europe being multilingual or a borderline polyglot in your face, candidates. Well, Spain's a weird one when it comes to Belgium because Spanish really isn't mutually intelligible with any language in Belgium, if you think about it. Yeah, well, my my theory with uh, with having learned uh, Spanish and in, or learned French in school and then learning Spanish while I travel and then having Italian ancestry is that if you can't think of the of the word in French, it's either going to be Spanish or Italian. If you can't think of the word in Spanish, you use French or Italian. If you can't think of the word in Italian, you use French or Spanish. The other thing that was kind of glossed over is the fact that Jens of the Y actually lives in Barcelona. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he's a proper expat. He lives, um, he lives just outside of Barcelona. Oh, that's like one of my favorite cities on the planet. So Gretel hits the red button on the beach, turning the lights on in the coffins containing Emanuela and Jens of the Y. And Dolly Parton. <laughs> oh, we're going to get there. Emanuela's card repeats history by saying, remember, only the living can bring salvation. And I am quite proud of the fact that I remembered that that was the hint from the Mexico coffin challenge before they actually um, showed it on the episode. They get the same challenge as Jeffrey and Jenny had. Of the ten photos they received, only four of them are alive. Those four numbers will unlock the coffins. The free four also get to those numbers to unlock the car keys. And then we get a truly odd introduction scene, because bearing in mind, this is the first person we are introduced to in the entire season. And it is Yen to the Y showing off his thigh tattoo, designed by his girlfriend, of an angel at the quote-unquote gates of heaven, otherwise known as a vagina. And this is the first person we are introduced to. This sets the tone of the season. And it's not a small tattoo. No. Why, why would you ever think of showing 
<laughs> of showing that to someone in a TV interview. And why would you ever think of making that someone's introduction on a TV show? <laughs> this show is batshit insane. <laughs> I think when you show that tattoo in your audition, production is going to respond to you saying they want another interview because they'll have so many questions. They're thinking, well, what the, we need to know more about this guy. I think it's, it's it's essentially the same same way that Lloyd was able to get on with his little red riding hood costume. Yeah, who are we going to call back? We've got this guy, or the guy with the angel and a vagina tattoo. Angel with the vagina tattoo every day. Unanimous. Then we get an introduction to Emanuela, who says that she's really bad at mental challenges, she's not good with logic, and the outside fort unlock their car keys with 55 minutes to spare. And they decide to leave Jens and Emanuela underground, and find the remaining four who are on a chain. Dolly Parton takes such a beating in this challenge. I know, and all I can think of when Dolly Parton gets mentioned on the mole is Splinter's impression of her from Czechia. <laughs> yeah. Which I ended up making the banner because it made me laugh so hard. And this came in the same week that she didn't want to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, that was the newest article. Yeah, that was just a few days ago I read that. Yeah, it's about three or four days ago, that yeah, she's funding COVID vaccines and has no interest in the Hall of Fame. Not just COVID vaccines, the Moderna vaccine, which she part funded, is being adapted to try and cure HIV now and cancer. So she's a solidly good egg, in summary. And it's been uh, also adapted to resurrect uh, Betty White. So inside the car when they unlock it is another red button with the caption, history repeats itself, or maybe not. Curious? Drive to the next location. And when they press it, the remaining four people get a message from Gilles da Costa explaining the next challenge. Which, if you've heard our Argentina episodes, you'll know how much I love Chain Gang. It's my favourite recurring challenge. This is a very, very quick version of Chain Gang. The quickest in history. It is the quickest in history, but it's kind of designed to be. But it's a complete reversal of Chain Gang, and I love it so much. So Emanuela and Jens get the correct four and escape their coffins, but a worthless has been left behind. When the button's pressed, it starts the chain challenge. Yet again inside the box is a key and a wooden plaque. The door will open every five minutes, and the mole decided on those four being there as the four candidates who are most likely to play selfishly. It is Anker, Bert, Uma, and Nela who are on the chain. Where do you think the mole was in this challenge? I've been thinking about that for the past hour. <laughs> I think it's quite tough in this challenge. Because my argument with a challenge like this is that the mole would want to be in a position of control and not necessarily care as much if they put a bit of money in the pot. So I think the mole was probably earlier in this challenge rather than later. Because you'd want to have control over over Jens's car bomb going off, I think. Because that's where the real money in this challenge is. Yeah, I was Jens was a guest of honor. That's 3,000 euros. You don't want to be left behind either in the coffin. Especially, I don't know if it's because I'm in an area where a devastating tsunami hit once upon a time. But all I could think was, they're in the Canary Islands. If there's a tall enough wave, they're drowning in those coffins. I think they probably were very careful with where they picked for that. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Oh, now we're down to nine. We've had coffins flooded, we've had a car crash, and we've had a paint bomb go off. This is not a good day one, guys. 
I suspect despite the fact that we saw how desolate the area where they were buried was, I think there were probably producers very close behind. <laughs> so we get the introduction to Bert, who's lived in the woods, apparently, and played the didgeridoo when he did. Not anymore, though, as it's an irritating instrument. And as friend of the podcast Bindles put it when he was watching the episode earlier, the didgeridoo is the Australian bagpipes. Yeah, he stopped playing it. Now it's a didgeridoo-don't. We get an introduction to Philippe, who is very animated. He was one of the Fallen Nine last year. He looks innocent, but not necessarily in this game, which someone on the bottom of our Discord said, you do not look innocent. He looks like Quentin Tarantino. He does. That's like a thing. You're not innocent. You're, you're, you're Quentin Tarantino. He doesn't look innocent in the slightest. I'm not sure I suspect him, but he doesn't look innocent in the slightest. With three minutes left before the box opens for the first time, they decide that Naylor will be the first to face the dilemma. Uh. Uma says in confessional that she'd looked up how to lie when she realised there was a chance of her being on the show. And with binoculars, Toon spots graffiti, which in Spanish says, in this cage there is no immunity, but there is interesting information for the group. The other three don't trust Naylor at all. And I'm not sure I would trust anyone I'd just met in a season of them all. When she started watching the show, she said that she was more of a group-minded person, but the longer it's gone on, the more she considers it an individual game. Do you think you would take the advantage, not knowing what it was? Not this early. I would not have taken it. Like, first person allowed to approach the cage in the first challenge of the game? I, I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I think it sets a bad precedent. It's the, the bar dilemma, in that as soon as you're revealed as being a very individual player no one's really going to trust you. You're going to be blocked out from much more important information in the form of coalitions with the others. Everyone's going to be inclined to say, nope, I'm not going to help that person anymore. They screwed me over just two seconds into the game. What's going to happen if we get into rounds three, four, five? It's, you're going to want that person out. Yeah, and skipping ahead slightly, I think Uma has the same problem. I think Uma's decision is probably going to come back to bite her slightly, because she's just going to get frozen out. Yeah. So Naylor does pick the key in the advantage, and she frees herself and the other three get left behind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. On the back of her not-an-exemption card, it says in Flemish, eerily limited. They look at the cake and realise the next stop after the chain is the bomb, and they've got 34 minutes left on the clock. And Toon and Sven both know their mole history. They know a paint bomb is coming from Argentina. But as to who was the victim of that paint bomb, only one of them recalls correctly. Yeah. We do see another paint bomb in another taxi and someone sat in it, but we only see them from the back. And the final sign for the red buttons tells them that the last 10 metres to the feast await, but is the guest of honour amongst them. When they push the button, Gilles comes on screen for one final time and tells them the guest of honour is not there yet, but reveals who it is. What was your reaction when you saw Jens? I was very, very surprised. I did, I did not see that coming. Neither did I. I'd heard accidentally that there was an 11th person in the cast. I didn't know anything more than that. So I had to quickly add it to the first suspicions list because it had already gone out by that point. And three people had submitted by that point, so apologies if you had. Feel free to edit and put a, a Jens number in there. When I watched Jens's reveal, I'm like, oh... My god, how did I not see this coming? All I was thinking was, is he in on this? Was he really that much in the dark? Did they really plan that over a year in advance? But we got we got more information as the episode plays out, and you realize, wow, 
that was that's been the plan for a year that they were going to bring him back. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you think that this twist would work as well if he enters the mall? Hmm. It was I did cross my mind if he could be the mall. He he can't be the mall. He can't be. But if he because if he makes a deep enough run, once you get down to final three or final four, and he's still in. It could very well be a situation where either nobody is onto him or everyone is onto him. I don't think there's going to be much middle ground if he ends up being the mole. If everyone is onto him and it's really obvious and, the fan, and we're onto him too and it's revealed he's the mole, it's going to be viewed as a big failure and what if of, oh, what if they didn't bring back somebody for this season? Just let the 10th anniversary play out as a normal season. But if he's the mole and no one figures it out and we even get fooled, then I think that's a pretty big payoff. Especially when you realize that he was in on it the whole time and played it off so well that he was clueless. This is the sort of clip that will get played back to me on the 8th of May, but I don't know if Jens is a good enough actor. I don't know if Jens could actually pull off the going to the Chewy desk, being shot that he's getting redirected via Lanzarote, lying to his wife. I don't know whether he could. Yeah, he's just this really sim- like this. He's Kaiser so say all along. I think Jens is far too earnest to be a mole suspect right now for me, and I know that this is going to come back and bite me in the end of the season if uh, if I'm wrong. But I, I just can't see it. I can't see him being the mole, and I don't know if this twist would work as well if he was the mole, and if he was put in the the taxi with the paint bomb completely out of his own control for 99% of this challenge. Well, I'm sure Philippe would like to do the twist, considering it's Quentin Tarantino. So when he won a trip to the Mosul last year, he hit a problem at Brussels airport. The flight to Frankfurt was overbooked, so they had to redirect him via Lanzarote. He has no idea he's the guest of honour. The candidates get to tell him, and the phone rings in the taxi with the name for Jens. And the ringtone, did you recognise it? Oh, I, I wrote down so many different musical musical uh, pieces of trivia in this episode. It is the same version of Everybody Knows that they used to score his exit last year. <laughs> it is a beautiful callback. Because the phone is on the dashboard and it starts going, Everybody knows that the war is over. And he's so confused because he will obviously associate it with, you know, being executed last year. It's just brilliant. I wish during the airport scene, if it didn't go exactly as production expected, where you just see Jens just just absolutely lose his shit at the at the at the agents behind the desk. What do you mean my flight to Frankfurt is cancelled? What the fuck? Can you guys not do anything right around here? I How have do you know who I, I am? I have a relative who is terminally ill at the hospital in Frankfurt, and he's only got two days left to live, and you're telling me this flight is fucking overbooked because you guys couldn't do your job? I, for one, am pissed. The best thing about it is the fact that absolutely, if he'd thought about it, he could have just got a train from Brussels to Frankfurt. (laughs) Yeah, he just says, eh, Just quits, takes a cab to the train station, and production is thinking, oh, we did not think this out well enough. There is literally no reason for him to have to fly from Brussels to Frankfurt. He can get a train. <laughs> it was the reason they picked Germany as the location last season. 
was because they can get there by road. So the candidates do tell him that he's going to be a candidate on this year's season, and he has to go in the glove compartment to find an envelope. Inside the envelope is a note saying he's got three attempts to text the number plate of his taxi. If he gets it wrong three times, or the time runs out, a bomb will go off. In my favourite of the episode one ending twists in mole history, I love the Ruth Paintbomb taxi game. It's my fave. And it's my fave entirely because it has only ever been won once worldwide. And that was in the terrible German season. It's a ludicrously horrid game, and I love it so much. Mainly because it was Ruth, and Ruth was hilarious. Oh, speaking of which, do you know what her Instagram name is? (laughs) I do, I can't remember what it is. Because I just came across it today, and I was thinking, it shouldn't be called, you know, when... When when a bomb goes off, instead of being a truth bomb, it should just be a Ruth bomb. Yeah, it, she's a ridiculously good sport about these things, I think. <laughs> and now we get our introduction to Sven. And Sven says to a producer that if he was asked who his favourite was last year, he would say Jens, <laughs> the guy who lasted three minutes. But he didn't say Jens. Who did he say, Logan Saunders? He said the host of Vidim Japan, Peter Yan. He did say Peter Yan. And I am calling it now, if Sven is the mole, that is a brilliant way to hint. If he starts name-dropping foreign mole hosts, like, he will be my favourite mole ever. Absolutely. Because this season is all about celebrating Belgian mole, but you know how to win my heart if you start talking about Peter Yan. (laughs) Well, the crazy coincidence is that Peter Yan hosted... Season ten of Vidum, right? That was season ten. Mm, he did, and then he Peter Yan gets referenced in season ten of Belgian Mall. He hosted seasons eight through eleven, I believe. Yeah, Sven Sven made my ears prick up when he started talking about Peter Yan, because we haven't really talked about how much I love Peter Yan as a mall host. He's he's brilliant. He's an absolute arsehole which is exactly what makes it more fun. In the same way that I I love Gilles de Costa and I've always talked about him being my favourite mole host, Peter Yan is probably my favourite Dutch mole host. He's fun as all hell and a complete sassy bastard to these people. Um, but yeah, I was incredibly suspicious of Sven immediately when he started talking about Peter Yan and accidentally calling Jens Peter Yan. And it could be nothing. But also, it made my ears pick up. It's like the cola bottle. Yeah. It just made me inherently suspicious of Sven for the rest of the episode. So the number plate can be obtained by answering four questions, the first of which is in the tube that the police officer handed over. That asks in Spanish how many candidates have children. The second is how many roses are on the cake. The third asks how old the person who has been working 95 for decades is in 2021. As we know from the coffins, that is 75. And the final question is that the three letters on the number plate form a word, the clue to which is on the back of the not an exemption card. And they think that there are six roses on the cake, and the eng, or scary is the word, but the three people with Spanish knowledge, Uma, Emanuela, and Jens, were left behind, so they struggle with the translation of hijos. Yeah, I was thinking, ooh, I feel smart. And they try 2680 eng with 12 minutes left and are wrong. Nayla correctly guesses that he hoes his children. She asks who has children and laughs when she asks 19-year-old Toon. 
They try 56.80 Eng, which is also wrong with six minutes left. And their final guess is 56.75 Eng. And Jens warns them that he hasn't brought shampoo with him. And they lose their 3,000 euros, but sprint to bank the 1,000 euros that the five of them are worth. Jens is also officially welcomed to the season as the 11th candidate. Everyone grabs their mole books off the table, and Jens has to break the news to his wife that he's not coming home for three weeks. Who already knew, thanks to Gilles coming to their house in September. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. I love this so much. I like how Jill also made Jens call, call his girlfriend too, saying, oh, you should really call her and tell her where you are. It's such an unnecessary Gilles Costa dick move. And I love it so much for him to have snuck to Jens's house, presumably while Jens was working, to go speak to his wife and say, here's the lowdown. Jens is coming. He isn't going to be flying to Frankfurt as he thinks. He's going to be flying to Lanzarote. He's going to be potentially away for three weeks. Are you okay with that? By the way, we're going to need you to lie to him for the next two months. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, and can we also grab that cuckoo clock from you? Like, how, how does the cuckoo clock make it there? I think the cuckoo clock, he had it with him in his hand luggage. So I I suspect the producers, when they said, oh yeah, here's your sponsored trip to, um, to the Mosul, can you bring the cuckoo clock? Because we're just going to get some photos when you go there for all the promo and stuff. So he was definitely told to bring it with him. Uh, so Nayla says in confessional that she took the advantage as she knew that time was limited and wanted to give the team the best opportunity possible. Emanuela says that a team can unmask them all, but only if they're not thinking selfishly. They wake up, barely, on day two in Puerto del Carmen with hangovers. Nobody bothered to cut the cake. And we do, as we've just said, see that Germany Jens brought a cuckoo clock with him. Gilles rings them and says he hopes there aren't too many hangovers. He's looking for five people who aren't, that wonderful Dutch word of Prickelvar, irritable, and six who are good liars. And he'll see the six liars soon and the irritable ones later. And the five prickle bars are Naylor, Toon, Philippe, Germany, Jens, and Sven. And the six liars are Anka, Emanuela, Jens with a Y, Gretel, Bert, and Uma. The liars are each given a case three containing money, 500 euros, 1,000 euros, and 1,500, and three contain nothing. Three of them will be eliminated by interrogators, leaving the three that will form their prize. And Bert suggests that the three best liars take the money. They claim their cases and await their interrogation by Howie Mandel. <laughs> their interrogators are two grandmasters of lying, Gilles Van Bohl, the first mole of the reboot, and Magda, the first mole worldwide. And it is also worth bearing in mind, given what I said about the ages of the moles, that Magda, when she was revealed as the mole in 1998, was 40 years old, which is six years older than every single reboot mole, minimum. She's now 63. I noticed she rarely spoke during mm. this whole challenge. Because we hear from Van Boel a lot in Belgian media. He's doing He's the face of the mole, close to being the face of the mole franchise. And then you have Magda, Magda Mole, and she rarely gets to speak during this whole challenge. Yeah, I don't know why. I think it may be... A combination of of Gilles being a lot more comfortable on camera and stuff, because obviously he's done a lot more TV stuff since. I think it also may be a little bit that he's just a more out there personality. Yeah. And in each round, the moles have 12 minutes to find the case. 
In the 500 euro round, it's either in Yenzes, Gretels, or Umas. The other five are in a cactus patch. Philippe and Nailet must guide the other three through the patch while they're blindfolded and covered in balloons to find cards hidden in the field which will double the case values. Philippe and Nailet can see different cameras from each other, and each blindfolded person has five lives. When the five balloons popped, they're out of the game. Sven is the first up, and they do well, but Nailer doesn't spot the big cactus that he walks near, popping the first balloon. And in a brilliant bit of planning, this also gives the old moles a clue as to who has the case that they're looking for, the first clue of which is Afraid of the Duck. You only... Just Belgian mole is just a master of integrating two completely different challenges and how to be directly related to one another. Not only do the suitcases double the money for the other half of the challenge, but the performance also dictates what happens to those briefcases. Yeah, the um, the one that comes to mind is the Calpool Karaoke Challenge, which is one of my favourite things they've ever done, because of how ludicrous it is that they even had a crossover with that in the Piano Challenge. Yeah, just genius ideas all around for this episode. Yeah. So the second balloon pop gives the old moles has a twin sister, and the third gives them sang Edelweiss with a children's choir, to which they make all three people sing Edelweiss. Badly. What the hell is Edelweiss? Is, is that somebody's name? Is it Edel's the first name, and then the last name is Weiss? It's in Sound of Music. Oh. Well, you know me singing the Sound of Music soundtrack all the time on these podcasts. It just, it just made me think of the whole, I don't even know how old Meg Griffin is. We had to sort of just, uh, we had to improvise at her at her birthday when we went away and played it on the piano. You are going on, fellas will fall in line. So Sven pops a fourth balloon, which gives them did competitive figure skating. Gilles suspects a woman, which Jens says is a stereotype, to which Gilles then asks who Jens' favourite figure skater was. I love this entire exchange. <laughs> yeah. Elvis Stoiko. It's so fun. Because you know full well that Van Baal was completely just trolling him. Just toying with him. He knows that Jens is lying to him and it's brilliant. But Jens' answer is even better, because he said that he did a par- <laughs> He said that his idol was his twin sister, which you know my feelings <laughs> on people's role models being their family members. His idol is his twin sister because he did ice hockey until she encouraged him to figure skate. <laughs> my idol in figure skating is my twin sister who was born in Alst and is afraid of the dark. We were afraid of the dark together and we found the light by learning how to figure skate together. I, I just love it. I, I, oh, it it's just delightful. Sven pops a 5th and 6th and 7th balloon, losing them the chance at the doubler and giving the old moles Bonin Alst, which Gretel admitted before any clues came up that she was, making their jobs very easy. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't need... Magda's probably sitting there thinking, I know I haven't played the mole in about 24 years, but uh, I I think I know whose briefcase has the 500 euros. So for the 1,000 euro round, Bert, Emanuela, and Anka play. Bert is an arborist from Antwerp. Toon plays for the Cactus team. Thanks to Naylor, he pops a balloon, giving the old balls the clue that the person they're looking for does yoga. And even without knowing who had the values, Emanuela is a terrible liar when she's being interrogated here. It's so funny to see her try and describe yoga. Yeah, down, down dog. 
My favorite movie was The Down Dog. But then Bert, knowing that he is the person they're looking for, just goes, yeah, my, my favorite's The Down Dog too. Definitely The Down Dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody should have jumped in and said, what's what is a Down Dog? Is, is, that, is that the same as, as Up Dog? What's Up Dog? I don't know. What's up with you? We talk a lot on this podcast, and by we I mean mainly me, about how the best challenges are are personality-driven. This is a personality-driven challenge. But you also have this paired with an utterly ridiculous challenge that only two shows in the world would ever be able to do. One of them is Demol Belkia, one of them is Hammerox Le Million, which has done this as a roadblock. I've had a very good authority, aka Bindles, that um, when they were in Mexico... Hammerots did do this as a challenge. Uh, the old moles make the three in the cave touch their toes. Toon pops a second balloon, giving them the clue has DJed at the Puckle Pop Music Festival. Anchor does claim that her name was DJ Tickle Monster, and Bert's was DJ Ghostbuster. It's like, which, one, which one's the more believable DJ name? The thing is, this is in Bert's bio that he does yoga. We actually see him do yoga at the start of day two. And that he has DJ'd at the Puckle Pop Music Festival. All of this is is very much sourceable in their bios. And then the, what was the one hint? Their favorite one night stand is Blondie, and I think that Ruth, even more so. They're like, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Bert, because then they ask. I'm not entirely clear on what they meant by one night stand. There, I'm assuming they meant Celebrity Crush. <laughs> celebrity, yeah. I guess I would, it would be similar to that. I'm thinking, well, who, who who's going to have a crush on on Debbie Harry? Oh, it was Debbie Harry. I thought she was just called Blondie. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I, I thought it was like Madonna. Satoon reaches the card, but pops a fourth balloon, giving the clue, doesn't like Gabba music. What the hell is Gabba music? Apparently a type of rave music. I had to do a bit of um, a bit of digging to find out what it is. Or Anka's answer to when they, I think when Jill asks her, what's the name of the, bl- of the front woman for, for Blondie? And no one fesses up to knowing the name, because that's going to tip off as to who it is. And then, and then I think Jill asks Anka, like, oh, you, you really like, why did you choose, choose Blondie as the, your favorite one-night standard for your, for your crush? And Anka says, oh, I chose it for the sex, not for the good music. I must admit, chose it for the sex rather than the good music was very close to being your intro this week. Yeah. The thing is, even assuming it is Celebrity Crush, they were really unfortunate that it was those three people because Anchor and Emanuela are about ten years younger than Bert is. Bert is the right age to have a crush on Debbie Harry. Yeah. At the time. It makes a lot of sense for, for him to have the hearts with Debbie Harry. And then the last tint is who's a hobby vegan? <laughs> and I'm why why are we even playing games anymore here? And then Anka still is forced to try and sell it. You know what my first thought when I saw the term hobby vegan was, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It was, of course, yes, turkey sandwiches are vegan. With Emmanuel, the funny thing with her is that her nickname is Manu, which I believe was the name of a tribe from Survivor Edge of Extinction. It was. And if you also have heard our mole podcast before, you'll know that we love an Emanuela in the mole. Emanuela's tend to be our favourites in their respective seasons, from the sample size of one that we've had so far. If this Emanuela can 
do even a tenth of what Emanuela Greaves did in Oregon, she will probably end up being my favourite. So the final round is between Emanuela, Uma and Anka, and Germany ends in the field. And doesn't bringing Anka and Manu back not make it super obvious that Bert had the thousand euros? I think they just cut their losses on that one. Jens is told to walk like a penguin, and thanks to his calm walking, they don't get a clue in the first half of the game, much to Bandball's frustration. He resorts yeah. to asking favourite films, to which Anka says Juno. He reaches the card with no pops, and is handed over to Naila eventually. He gets his first pop, to which, of course, the fact is, the favourite film is Moulin Rouge. Wow, there's just so much mu- musical knowledge here, because then Jill, Jill asks, oh, what's your what's your favourite song from Moulin Rouge? Like, Van Bull is about the right age to have probably appreciated Moulin Rouge at the cinema, I think. That was like 2003, 2004, was it not? I want to say 2002 or 2003. He's the same age as my brother, so he's 34, let's say, 33, 34. So, yeah, he's about the right age. Yeah, when you're in your early teens, that's the peak of your movie consumption experience. Yeah, they were super unfortunate that Moulin Rouge was the film that got drawn there, because, you know, I would probably put money on on Gilles knowing a lot about that film. And then and then he grill, starts squirreling Anka again, saying, you just said your favorite movie a minute ago is Juno. And I can't help but think, wow, Anka did a preemptive attack against what the hint would be. This is the first time where Jill is truly stumped as to who has the briefcase. And then he and then Jill just grills Emanuela for her very ridiculously vague description of Moulin Rouge. Do you think that the people with the briefcases had to tell the truth? No, I think they could either 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 everyone has to sell it as having the briefcase, or everyone has to equally deny it. Yeah, I feel like denying it would be the easiest answer. So I I think they were probably told that they had to sell it regardless. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of strategizing in between rounds. This was a 90-minute episode, and you still feel like a lot of it was was cut out. (laughs) Yeah. So Jens ends up having to basically grope the cactus, but grabs the card. The old mole suspects Gretel for 500, and they are correct. They suspect Bert for 1,000, and they're also correct. They reluctantly suspect Emanuela for 1,500, and are wrong, winning the team 3,000 euros. And it was Uma who had the 1,500. I was very surprised that they went with Emanuela on the last one, especially when she clearly had no idea what Moulin Rouge was. They could have said it was a type of cookie and she may have, would have probably bought into it. And in a wonderful return, Papa Virgil de Costa eats breakfast with them on day three. It's just a little thing that they didn't draw attention to, but also when Gretel at the end gets executed, he does say goodbye and give her a hug. He's allowed to actually not be separate to them anymore, which is really nice. No more elbow rubs. No no more elbow rubs, no more staying six feet away from them permanently. He's actually allowed to interact, which is nice. Jens is called away by a production member, and Jill tells the other ten that for the last year, an exemption has been hidden in Jens's cuckoo clock. He takes pictures with it like it's a trophy, and if it stays in Jens's clock, the money that day will be tripled, and he is safe at the first test. They all agree to work as a team to freeze out the mole, like that's ever going to actually happen. For the final challenge, they will be celebrating the volcanic landscape of the Canary Islands by playing everyone's favourite game, The Floor is Lava. Not sponsored by Netflix. This is another point in the episode where I absolutely howled, because I'm like, 
it's known for being volcanic. How did I not expect a Flores Lava game to appear? What's uh, What makes it really dark comedy is that right as they were driving towards the volcano, because when I was in Canary Islands, that's all everyone talked about was wanting to see the volcanoes. And then that big story happened a few months ago about the volcanic eruption on, on Grand Canaria. And I'm thinking... I wonder if this would this happen at the around the time of when they filmed the season. And sure enough, Jill has to say, "By the way, we have this Flores lava challenge, and 400 kilometers away from here, there's an eruption in Las Palmas." So, I can't even imagine how much they would have had to alter filming if this was planned in Las Palmas instead of in uh, Lazarote. Yeah, it was November, I believe, that they filmed roughly. No one knows the exact date because they're very sneaky about these things, but I believe from the context clues we got this episode, it was it was sometime in November that they started. Yeah, and that volcanic eruption I know in Las Palmas was really bad. It made international news at the time. I assume this challenge would have also been inspired by the fact that Netflix just released the Flores Lava game show. What was that, about a year ago now? Oh no, I think it was entirely based on the fact that they thought how can we be very silly and do a fun challenge and make them stand on furniture? And this is right after we hear song two by Blur and and a Beyonce song play in the cars. We do, and spoilers, our banner is probably going to be Jens dancing in the car because it did make me laugh. So almost immediately, Naylor falls and is out with the challenge. They have an hour to reach the end where a personal question awaits each of them. Each correct answer earns 200 euros if someone takes exemption, and 600 if nobody does. Jill says, there's a personal question for each of you, and then when you go in there, it's, it says, oh, when did you lose your virginity? Oh, I don't know, it's going to be that personal, Jill. Same age as Dolly Parton, 75. It's a personal question for each of them. Who is the mole? What you doing later? <laughs> what was this? This is a subjective answer. <laughs> So they get an assortment of household goods, probably from Ikea, to help them on the lava field, including stools, wardrobes, and tables. Five of them start on a couch, and five of them in a wardrobe, and they can only support themselves with things that are 30 centimetres off the ground. I really wish the wardrobe would have taken them to Narnia. It would have just capped it off, capped off this premiere, like, whoa, they really stepped things up. We're in a novel crew, we're, we're in a location that's entirely fictional. The budget has increased for the 10th season. Aslan is the 12th contestant. I hope he doesn't get hit by a paintball. Well, he's great at deception. He's wonderful at lying. <laughs> lying, yeah. I'm ashamed of myself for that. So to get to the bench where they can get over to the shed, they have to answer five true or false questions. If they're right, the box will be solid. If they're wrong, they'll fall through and be out of the challenge. And they also seem to have been given white t-shirts now. The first question is whether the Canary Islands are named after an animal. And that is true. It is named after dogs. Did you know that already? I'm assuming you probably did. I believe so, yes. Uh, Uma knows her facts and is correct on that. And Yen to the Y reaches the second question, which is that tea bags are allowed in composting bins. Manu knows that some feature plastic and that it is false. The third fact is that a dust mite has eight legs, which is true. The fourth fact is that Belgians call the squat toilet a French toilet, but the French call them Dutch toilets. And they say no and are correct by saying that they're known as Turkish toilets, which they are in most of the world, to be fair. And the final fact is that the first line of the song Anna by the band Clouseau is early in the morning, I bring breakfast to the room, and that is false, it is the third line, and Yen's of the Y drops through the box. They untie stilts to reach the shed with the questions, however, also in the shed, 
quite predictably, is the cuckoo clock containing the exemption. Bert is first to make it across. As an arborist, he's asked a tree-themed question, which is that the Californian rose sequoia has another Dutch name. What is it? He guesses a giant fur and is wrong. It is just the giant sequoia. As Bert takes the back off the clock, the clip of Jens being eliminated is played, with an instrumental of Life on Mars behind it, which also played at the time. It's just such wonderful emotional manipulation. Yeah, don't do it. Look at look at what happened to him last year. Do you want to see him be twice as devastated as he was? I love everything about this episode. I'm going to be honest. This is a this is a ten out of ten episode for me. There should be like satanic flames also playing at the end of the clip, saying, "If you take the exemption, you're going straight to hell." What should have happened is, as they took the back off the clock, a speaker just goes, "No," <laughs> or it should it should do the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> they take the back off the clock and it's just an eagle screech <laughs> or Michelle going I want the guy to be hung <laughs> oh, so much they could have done so much they could have done with that <laughs> so Gretel and Anker guess that with Bert taking his time that the cuckoo clock is also in there Uber is next as a religion teacher. She's asked what the four Gospels of the New Testament are. And to be fair, this question is definitely a classic pub quiz question. It is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And she doesn't know, apparently, as a religion teacher, which is really suspicious. Weren't those the guys from the Backstreet Boys? Or One Direction? Or New Kids on the Block? They are hanging tough. Uh, Gretel steps through a box and is also out. Philip can't use stilts and is also out as is Manu. This is brilliantly scored with an operatic piece as Sven, Tune, and Anker all fall, leaving just Germany Jens. Yeah, the first two the first two people made this look really easy. I must admit, when the first two people did it, I'm like, this does seem far, far too easy. There's no way that I would be able to walk on stilts like that and confidently like that. They've practiced, both of them. Uh, Germany Jens makes it across and is confused by his clock hanging there. He's asked as a calvinter what the durability of beach is from one to five, where one is very durable and five is not. He says a two, but it is five. And he goes to pick up his clock and sees his own execution from last season. And that gives him a total of no euros of 6,600 for the challenge and 4,000 of 17,600 for the episode and season so far. What do you think the mold did in this challenge? I think the mold got to one of the two obstacles. <laughs> I think the biggest sabotage the mole can do is to ensure the exemption is taken. Because that's how you cost them 4400 at the start. I mean, you could say Uma was the most suspicious, because I think, wasn't she the one that said, oh, the rice jellings in the cuckoo clock when Bert was in there for a while. She was the one who was telling everybody that. Yeah, she was. But I can't... I don't know. I don't think the mole would be that blatant. It's a bit... Or yeah, episode one's a bit early for an exemption steal. Belgian mole as a whole tends to be a, a bit less subtle with their moles. They tend to not hide them as much. But still, I feel like it's a bit too unsubtle even for this show, for Uma to just take the opening exemption. Yeah, Uma and uh, Nela, I think, just have come out too aggressive in this first episode. Tune, I just can't see being the mole. And then Germany Jens. It'd just be a bit extreme if he gets picked as the mole as well. So I effectively ruled out those people. 
I guess I guess what you'd want to do in this challenge is, I guess at the start of the day, just keep drilling into people saying, hmm, I wonder how this exemption is going to come into play with the cuckoo clock. And maybe that distracts everybody during this whole challenge of, oh, we got to watch out for that exemption. I will say on the suspicions topic, traditionally for Belkia premieres, we don't do the usual vidim rule of not confirming who's in our pool teams because it's just me and Logan for Belkia. We don't tend to do that for Belkia because we both have filled in our first suspicions list by that point and we can just, I can just work it out on the fly. I haven't filled in my first suspicions list yet and I don't think you have yet. I've not yet, but I don't think you have yet. No, I had too much, too much of a fiasco with the freaking immigration office. <laughs> so even though I'm going to list my suspicions at the end of this episode, they may very well change before I do first suspicions based upon our discussions in this episode. So don't necessarily trust what I'm going to say about suspicions at the end of this episode, because it may change. These suspicions will still stand in terms of the podcast, but they may change on my first suspicions list yet, because I did them after watching the episode for a second time last night. Um, so we actually won't be confirming our pool teams on the podcast, at least until until next week. We will still confirm them on social media on Saturday. I think it'll come out, depending on the scheduling. I think it's Saturday. At the weekend, anyway. Um, so Jill then takes a clock from the shed and reveals the exemption was hidden in the clock. If the exemption is still there, it is for yens. There is no exemption. And that means either Uma or Bert took it. Uma has it. And Jens reluctantly points out to her that the chance of getting a red screen goes up the later you survive in the season. And the post-challenge scene is scored with a very strange version of I Will Survive. Bert tells Sven in the car that a good mole is one you hear from least. For the other ten, it is time for the test. Twenty questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Uma has the cuckoo clock exemption and is safe from the test. Naylor says that with so much money being lost in the first challenge... It is incredibly suspicious. They should be ashamed, but that just means they have a good mole and kept rushing into things. Sven says in the cactus patch, it was always Naila messing up. She was leading him astray and making him pop five balloons in 20 seconds. Philippe tried to steer them well in the cactus patch, but Naila kept taking over and leading them astray. And it was a very in-your-face sabotage. Tuna's been watching Sven, but it's only later that he thought the roses on the cake mattered. Only the mole would know how much these things actually mattered in the end. They missed at least three of them. Because we did see the license plate at the start of that challenge, and it was 7975. So the seven people have uh, kids, nine roses are on the cake, 75 was Dolly Parton's age, and N was the word they were looking for. It's a lot of contestants with kids. It is. I don't actually know who the four without are. Toon, obviously, but... <laughs> I was about to say, I think I do. I'm going to lock in that Toon doesn't have any kids. <laughs> Toon's the only one I know for certain doesn't have any kids. Because even though it actually isn't that old a cast in in Belgian terms, it's sort of on the lower end in terms of average age, it feels like an older cast. It's mainly Toon dragging the age down. Gretel is in Anka's top three at the moment. Occasionally she just pops up and goes, oops, I didn't understand that correctly. Against the old mole, she revealed the Alst fact far too early and stepped through a box when the path was clear. Well played if she's the mole, because that was a very stupid move. Bert suspects Philippe as he's very sweet. The fact he talks in his sleep helps. He processes, then relays things. And as a result, Bert hasn't slept much from sharing a room with him. Jens says that he doesn't know how difficult Bert's question was because he doesn't know anything about trees. Questions should be answered correctly, surely. 
Jeremy Yen says he wants to stay till the end. He said last year it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but now he has a second first chance. Toon is ruling him out, but he was worth €3,000 for a reason. There is a funny quote with Germany Yen's when he was talking about, yeah, this is like the, you say it's once in a lifetime, but really anybody can go uh, stand in a cornfield in the middle of Europe. I think if nothing else, even if he'd gone home first, which would have been obviously the hilarious option here, even if he'd gone home first, he has a very good sense of humour about these things, which is probably good, given, you know, how mortifying it would have been. If he was first executed again, Joe should have given him another cuckoo clock at the reunion and just see how fast he guns breaks it open. He's like, yes, there's the exemption. You son of a bitch, aren't go- you're not going to elude me again. And I know I said this to, to Jill in our interview last year, but the exemption music is beautiful in this show and it terrifies me when it comes up on Spotify. It's Ennio Maricone. It's a terrifying piece of music when you watch this show. Jill says that it's the most people they've ever had at an execution. 11 fine people. However, only 10 fine people will be left momentarily. He begins with Germany ends to see if history will repeat itself. History repeating itself, coincidentally, seems to be the theme of this season. It does not, giving him a green screen. Anka also gets one before Gretel gets the red and Sven cries. Something interesting that was pointed out on the Bothers Bar Discord as well is that these screens seem to be glitching like in the composite face reveal clip. So that may end up being a hint. Gretel gets a montage. Your favourite thing in the whole entire world. I was just waiting for you to say that she gets a montage. <laughs> we, we get to remember on all of those crazy memories with Gretel as a viewer. I'm sure if you're a contestant with her, you get a lot more bonding in 72 hours. But in this 90-minute episode, which feels like half of it was to keep dedicated to Jens, we got such classic highlights, like her getting uh, rear-ended by a car. She walked along the beach during the challenge to solve the Dolly Parton puzzle. And we also got to see her sit in a cave holding a briefcase. Ever since you mentioned this the first time, I cannot stop seeing it when it happens and laughing every time it happens. Oh no, Vedelweiss. That was the other thing. We used her getting hit by the car, her riding on the beach, and singing Edelweiss. Oh, what a journey. What a trip. What a trip it has been with Gretel. She'll leave an impact on my life forever. And it's nice to see Gilles say goodbye to people again. She says she saw it coming and would have liked to last a bit longer. Gilles promises her that she won't get hit in the execution car mainly because it is a BMW rather than a Renault Clio, and they actually, you know, are sponsored by Beamer. What's What would be hilarious is when, after Grail goes back home, like any time a, a car runs into her or gets rear-ended, she's just going to think it's all part of the mole. She's going to be getting out the car, and the other the, the driver in the other car says, oh, you know, give me your insurance or your contact information, you know, exchange insurance. And then Gretel would say, oh, yeah. Sure, sure, I'll give you my well, my insurance information. And then the, the driver's all confused, saying, Why is this why is this hilarious to you? You 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 were you stopped at that green light there and I didn't have enough time to react. I have thousands of dollars in damage in my car. She's just constantly winking at him. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have a nervous twitch? I know you can give me an exemption. Exemption from what? You're gonna be fined several thousands of dollars. We're both gonna have to go to court. What's so funny about this? Why are you driving away? 
why are you going to that cake shop? And on the subject of history repeating itself or not, for the first time in rebooted Belgian Mole history, there is no cliffhanger to this premiere. And history will repeat itself next week when they re-air the season premiere. That would be a very funny joke to be fair, but the only thing out of the ordinary is that the next time opener does play on the execution scene before actually cutting to our view. Next time, things get piratical, set to hearts of glass. Sven impersonates a chicken, there are camels, mermaids, cooking, parrots, and a moment of decision. So, in our pool, obviously our pool will be officially revealed in next week's recap. You can join in and give us your week one order on First Suspicions with the link in our social media or in the description of this episode. It has already been tweeted out and posted on Instagram. I will do it again before this comes out. And it will be open until the next episode airs on Sunday the 27th of March. Traditionally, there is no Brothers Bar suspect list for Belgia, but should that change, I will also put the link in our descriptions. Why not? Because Dan doesn't watch it as quickly, basically. And because because the subtitles are sometimes a little bit sporadic, it's harder for him to do it consistently. Which is partially why we do first suspicion, so people can still get it, get their one week of suspicions in for fun. And partially because, you know, I love I love doing first suspicions. It's so much fun. Even though it stresses me out, I love it so much. Who do you suspect, Mr. Saunders? Give us your list. <sighs> this is tough. Feel free to change this before you actually fill in first suspicions as well. I'm giving myself that luxury, so I could kind of give you it. Uh, let's say I'll have... Let's put Philippe at the top. Actually, no. Anka's number one. Anka's number one. Anka just because of how much she was trying to troll uh, Jill Van Buhl at the at the briefcase challenge. I feel like it's something that another that a co- that a co mole would do. See who can out mole the other. And then I don't know. Let's put in Philippe in the second spot because the people he was with didn't earn money, so he can't help but feel like he was contributing to that consistent loss of. Of money for the pot and how many suspects are we allowed is it a top three three you can do your entire list if you want i've got my entire list <laughs> so i've got my top two i'll say who i don't think it is i'm gonna have tune at the very bottom Nayla, uh in the what's that the ninth spot and german yens in the eighth spot and let's see uh, let's put let's put Emanuela in the seventh spot. Is that tenth, ninth, eighth, seventh? Who is going to be six? Um, this is a cliffhanger for me. <laughs> six is Uma. Uh, fifth will be Bert. Who do I have left? I have Sven. I have, let's put Sven as number three. <laughs> and who's number four? Who's the one I haven't said yet? Ah, uh, Jens. Oh, Jens with a Y. Um, let's put... Okay, so let's... <laughs> let me run it from top to bottom. This is so deliciously non-committal. I love it. Usually you have this all written down beforehand. It's tough, because there is... I was... At the end of the episode, I'm thinking, I have a few people who it's not, but there's a lot of equally suspicious people. Um, Anka, number one. Philippe, number two. Sven, three. Bert, four. Jens with a Y in fifth. Uma is six, Emanuela is seventh, or Manu. I don't know which name she's going to consistently go by. Uh, German Jens, eighth, 
uh, Nela 9th, and Tune 10th. My order is from, we'll go from worst to first. Germany Jens is my least, because the whole episode in reveals just wouldn't work if he's in on the joke, I don't think. I don't think that, I know this is going to come back to bite me if it is him, but I don't think that Papa Bear would set up a twist like this if he was in on the joke. Toon is number nine, purely because, as I said earlier, he gives me far more young energy than than Alina did, even though they were the same age. Uma is eighth, because she played far too much like a candidate. Seventh is Emanuela. As much as I would love it, I doubt it. She just was terrible at lying to Magda and Jill. Sixth is Anka. Fifth is Philippe, as he is definitely the sort of person that Jill would cast as a mole. Fourth is Bert, because he positioned himself well as the mole, running down the clock in the shed. Third is Jens with a Y. Something about him was just suspicious to me. Second is Naylor. Yes, she'd be obvious, but I think if Jill was looking to cast an older female mole, it would be someone like Naylor, personality-wise. She's very giggly and like, oh yeah, sorry about that, I am a bit of a klutz. And actually her sabotage in the opening challenge, sabotage in inverted commas, was more something that won favour in the group but still lost them money, which is a very interesting decision. And first is 100% Sven right now, because I think the mole would want to be on the cake in the challenge, because you get control on everything. He name-dropped Peter Yan, which if that continues, and I'm going to be watching out for this next week, that is a definite hint. And he was the centre of attention this episode without being the centre of attention. And the interesting quotes that we've had about the mole during this episode, stuff like the mole being the quietest person in the room, I think that sort of stuff is applied to Sven right now. So if you if you put a gun to my head and said, who is the mole right now, I'd say Sven. Yeah, and I've got him number three. Yeah, for similar reasons. I don't know why, but it's a gut feeling like it was with Lenny last year, I think, right now. The other thing that we do need to mention is that with 11 people in this cast, it does sadly probably mean we're getting a double execution at some point. You know my feelings on that. I think I would rather, given the choice, have a final four, but I still don't particularly like a final four. But 11 people in the cast does, with the episode order that we know, mean that either two people are going home in one week or we're going to get a final four at the end. Have you got anything else you want to say? Uh, We've been recording for almost two hours, so we've recorded longer than the episode itself. (laughs) Yeah, and bearing in mind that, you know, I do have a theme park to go to at some point, please say no. I'm good. I'm good with what I said. So everyone, don't forget to put in your first suspicions. I will be keeping an eye on that during the season and lightly roasting anyone who gets it wrong like we are going to. And with that, thank you for listening to our first Demol Belgia Season 10 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new Smolder in the Canary Islands. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsupergracky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Natalia for the subtitles. We will see you next week. And I'm off to celebrate my birthday. See you later. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Oh, God. What did I just pour into my gullet?